Hi everyone, welcome to Crime Science. In this podcast, we aim to explore the science of crime and the practical application of the science for loss prevention and asset protection practitioners as well as other professionals. We would like to thank Bosch for making this episode possible. Use Bosch Camera's onboard intelligent video analytics to quickly locate important recorded incidents or events. Bosch's forensic search saves you time and money by searching through hours or days of video within minutes to find and collect video evidence. Learn more about intelligent video analytics from Bosch in Zones 1-4 through of LPRC's Zones of Influence by visiting Bosch online at BoschSecurity.com. Welcome everybody to Crime Science, the podcast. This is our latest in our weekly uh, update series. I'm joined today by my co-host, Tony D'Onofrio, and Tom Meehan, and our producer, Diego Rodriguez. And uh, we want to kind of touch base, of course, on what's uh, uh, affecting the entire globe, and that is the uh, SARS-CoV-2 virus and the resulting COVID-19 disease that can occur, um, you know, ongoing research. One key point that I'm picking up in a lot of literature, um, not just uh, corporate media reporting, um, is around um, the testing, the criticality to maintain some a little wider spread and more accurate testing for this virus and others uh, around the United States and around the world so that there's earlier warnings, uh, uh, there's uh, the, the ability to more rapidly um, dissect, if you will, but to sequence uh, what pathogen uh, that might be detected in the testing um, and, or strains of that pathogen like we're seeing with A, B, C, D, alpha, you know, beta, and so forth, the delta variants, um, and just to keep a handle and, and provide a lot more data and understanding around uh, how these types of things, these pathogens spread and why. Um, but, but a real critical um, and very interesting and somewhat uh, concerning is looking at the delta variant, right, first discovered and sequenced in uh, India. Uh, now over 80 countries across the world are reporting this, something that was only really uh, uh, picked up on my understanding probably in the last 90 days or so, right? So it gives you an idea of um, how globally connected we are through travel, um, but how rapidly, just how rapidly. And in the UK, 74% of sequence cases are are now the Delta variant and uh, almost 96% of reported cases period um, seem to be that variant. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm about a dozen states, United States, are reporting the Delta variant. We know it just seems to be much more transmissible um, than others, and that uh, those that got the first uh, of a two-dose sequence of one of the um, mRNA vaccines, um, whether it be Pfizer or Moderna, um, seem to have a little bit of vulnerability, the possibility of getting disease. Um, Those that have had two and are past that 10-day period after the second dose don't seem to have a problem at all with it. Um, So again, further data evidence of what's going on. Um, about a billion humans around the world have been vaccinated with at least one dose um, and, uh, and hundreds of millions uh, in the countries that we particularly travel to. So a lot of progress being made, um, as we talked about before, you know, the idea is to first prevent the infection at all um, by limiting the exposure or the amount of uh, inoculum or the viral particles we might ourselves inhale or uh, cause to be inhaled by somebody else. And that's where, again, a little bit of prudent distancing. I just uh, traveled um, on airfare. I know Tom's been doing it quite a bit, uh, Tony a little, um, but you know, it's just uh, a little common sense, a little bit of separation. We were required to wear masks on the actual airplane uh, boarding and during flight and, and off boarding. So 
Uh, there seemed to be that no separation necessarily going on uh, other than the masking by everybody uh, who seemed compliant. You had the odd character with their nose hanging out, but um, that seemed to be pretty good. You know, I don't think anybody is more uh, over the whole thing than myself. But again, all of us that are involved in science recognize there's, this is certainly is not a hoax. There, uh, we've had, you know, uh, just the United States alone, almost a half a million humans that died with or because of COVID-19. Um, and it's very serious. And you look at the long COVID, um, I have some family members that are still months and months later uh, don't have their sense of taste or smell, or it's just a bizarre um, version of those. And again, we talked about this earlier. Loss of smell is different than change in smell, which is different than loss of taste, or which is also different from from change in taste. And so, new studies have come out of Oxford University in the UK, and it looks like others where they're trying to race to understand that. Most importantly, how do we prevent or treat and recover? Um, but it looks like, in part, and maybe in great part, that a loss of brain cells um, in the those areas that are critical uh, throughout our brain too, sense of taste and smell and uh, picking it up in the first place and then properly um, interpreting it um, and cataloging it and so forth. So um, there are real uh, near and long-term consequences of any virus is my understanding, any virus. And this virus would certainly not be expected to be any different, that, that when we are infected with any pathogen, things change. Uh, they change us and our response to the uh, pathogen entering our bodies changes uh, that pathogen to a certain extent and us. So they're always expected to be, you know, positive, neutral, and negative effects of anything that we deal with in life. So, you know, the idea that this is somehow different is not accurate, <clears throat> according to incredible amount of research. And it looks like at this point, you know, we've got the most researched um, uh, vaccines in the history of mankind. Uh, but again, we have 77 more uh, vaccine candidates in preclinical analysis, as we mentioned, either in silico, which means computer simulation with high speed, powerful computers and GPU capability. Um, and then uh, 94 known in clinical trials, human clinical trials. Uh, at this point, 51 additional vaccine candidates in phase one, uh, 11 uh, candidates in phase, I'm sorry, 37 in phase two, 31 candidates in phase three, which are the very large randomized controlled experiments or trials. And these are by and large double blind. The researchers, those taking the measurements or administering the dose, do not know whether they're giving something, a benign substance like saline, uh, or if they're giving the actual vaccine. Um, and so nobody really knows. So when the data analysts um, at all the different levels, and remember these, all these phase three trials go through uh, a series of different evaluators, not just the drug company, um, independent FDA, and including, and then uh, additionally, uh, several university independent researchers are given the data or access um, throughout the trials to make sure they're being conducted properly. Um, that there's that fidelity there that we all look for in an experiment, um, as well as they're um, using the most sophisticated data analytics techniques. Um, and then they get together uh, at each of the levels, the pharma company, um, their, their advisors, that's two, and then the FDA, and then their advisors. So you're looking at sort of four different groups to take a look at these um, vaccines and therapies that are developed for this and any other pathogen that we're dealing with. So stay tuned on that. Uh, exciting. We've talked about this before. Australia seems to now have entered the nasal vaccine into human clinical trials. Um, they seem 
is early on, early days, uh, but it looks very promising. And again, we've talked about the difference between getting becoming infected, exposed to, and then infected with the SARS-CoV-2 particles. What the difference is now, do we get some sort of disease or response to that? Do we start to exhibit symptoms or not? How serious um, is, how far does the disease itself um, uh, progress in our bodies? Um, and then how does our immune system respond or not respond, or does it over-respond and create additional damage? That's where the inflammation can be good, evidently, but can also go out of control. And that's where you hear these terms like cytokine and other storms that occur that can be devastating to our body um, as it desperately tries to fight or it doesn't need to be fighting anymore. And we all know too, probably every one of us knows somebody that has an autoimmune disease where their, their bodies are over-responding and um, uh, their natural or you know their innate and adaptive immune systems are, are creating damage rather than, than preventing it in that case. So again, nothing new or scary or false about that. So the preventing affection is the first stage. And that's why we had to go through all these things. You know, we can all debate and I, I'm right in there with everybody else on whether we should have done this or that or done it differently uh, or done it sooner or less for longer, or excuse me, for a shorter time period. Uh, but the idea was to try and reduce infection, the spread um, of the uh, virus. Um, and then secondly, though, then to prevent the disease. And that's what's exciting about these uh, potential nasal, maybe they will just prevent infection on the front end rather than just disease, which is critical, uh, which the other vaccines are designed to do. Once you're, if it goes in and you become infected, you're better at fighting it off. So you don't, the disease does not progress at all uh, and certainly not to a serious level. Um, and then finally, to prevent hospitalization and even death. So you've got sort of those three levels and that's what you see physicians and scientists around the world 24 seven working with engineers and computer scientists and others to uh, develop better and better uh, vaccines, which are designed to prevent infection or if possible, uh, prevent disease if that doesn't work and finally prevent serious disease, which results in hospitalization or even death. Um, so they have a, a clear focus, a logic model, um, and they've got a lot of, of, uh, of compounds to work with. We know that there are additionally, if somebody does now have the SARS, excuse me, have the COVID-19 disease, 445 preclinical compounds um, that are being heavily researched, another close to 400 clinical compounds that are moving through phase one, two, three trials and so on. Um, so that's kind of a little bit about that. Uh, the main thing is, um, as I turn over to Tony in a few minutes here, is we want to look out the effects on our supply chains and our and, uh, commerce and travel and things like that, which is what, uh, in addition to life safety, uh, this is all about. So um, secondly, on the LPRC front, uh, our Product Protection Summit is coming up. Um, and we encourage any and all members to participate. This year's, uh, we needed to have it virtual, uh, but we're really very excited about the process that uh, Dr. Corey Lowe, uh, a research scientist on our team, has put together. They put together uh, criteria, uh, had the retailers and the solution partners help form the criteria, uh, then had um, a, a nice sample of retailers take a survey review what they thought the logic model or the mechanisms, how this technology might work to reduce theft um, or, uh, or, the, um, or mitigate that theft that they might have. Uh, what's that look like? How might it work? How likely is it to work? 
then how durable might this system be in the real world in a busy store where people are touching and yanking on it and, um, and so on, um, and then uh, let them evaluate from that standpoint and then pick who might go into a final competition. Um, now, LPRC is certainly not endorsing uh, or non-endorsing any technology or even tactic, um, but rather trying to help uh, enable or facilitate the retailers and the SPs, the solution partners, their technologists and engineers uh, to work together to engineer and build and execute better and better solutions. And it's very exciting. This, so this, we view this product protection summit from the LPRC is just a, a phase. Um, and we'd like to continue these. We wanna work with and look forward to comment by any and all retail practitioners, uh, APLP practitioners, as well as the solution partners um, at uh, their positions, the teams that they've got to improve the process, to improve everybody's outcomes here together. So we'd like to do more of these um, to help everybody learn together how, uh, how better about how these theft and fraud and, and violence dynamics occur, and then the best ways to affect them, to treat them, if you will, um, and then how to put on these competitions so that they're most meaningful and provide the most impact uh, and that everybody learns, everybody learns regardless of your rank, one, two, three, four, five, six, ten, whatever, um, on the overall rating matrix that they've come up with. Um, but how can you move up that matrix um, and get in there and, and, and so forth? So very exciting impact again, first week in October. Please go to lpresearch.org. We're extremely excited. Um, and this will be our 16th impact. Um, 16th year in a row, and uh, should be full occupancy at the uh, University of Florida's beautiful Rights Student Union, um, and all points thereabouts in the uh, Champions Club in the Swamp Stadium. Um, nice reception there over at UF Innovate Hub and lab tours and adventures there. Um, so a lot of tremendous uh, learning lab breakout sessions, main stage sessions, a lot of interaction. Um, so a pretty incredible experience, not like any other conference that I've been to over the last uh, decades. Um, so we encourage everybody to take a look and we'd love to get you in here. Um, and in the meantime, if you want to visit the LPRC before that first week in October, please again, reach out on, uh, on operations at lpresearch.org. Let us know you'd like to come in, what you'd like to see and do while you're here in Gainesville, whether it's for an hour or a day. Um, the Safer Places Lab, uh, we had, <clears throat> excuse me, tours with my colleagues from the University of Florida working on a National Science Foundation or NSF grant called SafeCord. And as part of the Smart Cities Initiative, there are many different divisions that NSF works to fund, um, but they have to have strong intellectual merit and have to interpret to real world changes and improvements um, and so on. So we were going through the, the five physical labs at LPRC and then out in the parking lot lab at the UF Innovate Hub uh, block. So again, we did uh, to help us all get focused on going to the phase two, hopefully funding from this NSF grant. Um, this week also, we're working away on the red journeys. In other words, the crime scripts that we put together. Uh, what does it look like? What's a good day look like for the red guy, the offender, whether they're a burglar or a shoplifter uh, or, a, or a professional booster type shoplifter, um, an armed robber, or a porch pirate, and so on. So what does a good day look like? What are all the steps and stages they go through? And then what are potential aiming points, solution set aiming points at each one? And how do we fuse sensors and treatments uh, at each of those aiming points? And how do we fuse 
those across all aiming points for more effect and fewer side effects and so on to make it cost effective um, as well. So we're excited to chart those out, look for some of the imagery starting to come out in a couple of weeks. Um, and so I think what I'm going to do now, let me go over to Tony D'Onofrio. Tony, if you can kind of illuminate us and help us move through the world. Thank you very much, Reed. And again, great update on both COVID and LPRC. And I'm looking forward to those live events and getting together again with everyone. Uh, let me start by wishing everyone a happy belated Father's Day. Uh, I hope it was a great day as it was for me also. I also want to give a quick update on LPRC Europe. Uh, planning continues for July 21. Uh, soon our, uh, the retailers in Europe will receive a survey to provide priority uh, focus in terms of what they want to hear from the LPRC and what should be the priorities in Europe. The only unknown right now is still COVID. Uh, UK is still going through partial lockdowns. They were, they were expected to expire actually uh, this week, but they now have been extended to July 19th. So we're excited. We just have to make sure that uh, we get to the COVID issues and plan for an exciting launch. So right now, we do have 10 plus retailers that uh, are interested in participating, and I expect more to actually show interest uh, as we're tying this around another event that's taking place in the UK at the same time. So I am really, really looking forward to this. Speaking about LPRC and preventing crime and what's happening in the world, a disturbing article that appeared in uh, Fox News uh, the last about three days ago, it was titled Shoplifting, Ruling the Roost at Big Cities and Pharmacy Chains. And in that article, uh, the Fox News reporters talked about that Walgreens has closed 17 stores in San Francisco over the past five years. Uh, and CVS has closed at least two, describing San Francisco as the epicenter of organized retail crime. And then a CVS official told the New York Post that 85% of the company's money losses in San Francisco as a result of what's been described as professional crime. In December, I, and I shared this before, the NRF identified the top cities for organized retail crime. Number one was LA. Uh, number two was Chicago, and they were followed by Miami, New York, and San Francisco. So San Francisco is a top city. Also interesting, in March of this year, the Attorney General Alliance hosted a webinar where they had the Georgia Attorney General uh, describe, and he and the Georgia Attorney General described organized retail crime as a growing problem. Uh, the AG stated that organized retail crime impacts 97% of all retailers in Georgia. He also said that this criminal activity exposes Georgia's workforce to potentially dangerous encounters, put consumers at risk of unknowingly purchasing expired and defective goods, and threatens the health and growth of local businesses. So again, it reinforces the importance of LPRC in fighting crime, as it, as it changes in San Francisco being a good example. One of the other things that uh, COVID is changing is uh, what's happening to apparel. And this uh, past week, actually uh, Digital Commerce 360 had a really good update in terms of um, um, who is the post COVID-19 apparel shopper. So how is apparel changing uh, after COVID-19? And I recall in all the podcasts that we've talked about, they had the biggest hit and, and they actually had the longest re recovery cycle 
doing COVID. So according to Digital Commerce 360 2020 online apparel sales total $241 billion and they were down 20% from 301. Uh, so there's a lot of room to go back the other way. The top three reasons that inspired shoppers to switch to online and actually buy some apparel online were replenishment number at 41%, seasonality 36%, and the desire to freshen up the, the wardrobe at 35%. And ironically, uh, these, these are the same reason that brings shoppers into the store. So the question is, will the online apparel uh, buying stick? Just one in four online shoppers project an increase in spending in post-COVID-19. So there is no rush, according to this survey, to go out there and buy a lot more apparel in the near term. What's the impact of apparel on accessory from buying uh, online during COVID? 26% uh, want that free shipping before they buy. 24% say COVID has not had an impact on buying apparel accessories online. 21% will try to shop local and help uh, physical retailers. And 20% um, said as COVID received, they plan to shop in physical stores uh, more and less online. So I, again, all these data reinforces that uh, physical stores are still going to be important and even for apparel. Interesting with shoppers shop online for apparel during COVID, 66% chose Amazon, a surprising 45% chose 40 uh, department store websites, 36% chose walmart.com, and 28% shopped at specialty stores. Uh, shoppers are also testing new services. 13% now are focused on sustainability and the environment. And also social media is starting to play a bigger role in terms of influencing what you buy. So shoppers have made social media part of the shopping journey as 30% indicate that they use social media to find out about new brands and products. 29% click on retailer social ads and 28% are inspired to these tactics being utilized through social media. So apparel will come back, uh, but again, it will be about all about the experience inside the store and also the types of uh, products that they sell. Now, stepping back to the, finally, to a broader, what's happening to e-commerce in general post-COVID-19 and where do we go from here? Stellarizing, uh, which is a marketing firm, uh, put out an, a great infographics that looked at what, what the projections are for e-commerce going forward. Prior to the pandemic, e-commerce sales were expected to, to be 13.2% of total retail sales. Uh, with the pandemic in, in 2021, it will jump to 15.5%. But again, it's not taking over all physical sales. Uh, only 15.5% of all total retail sales will be online in 2021. The top three projected online track categories are apparel and accessories that we just talked about at, a, at 19%, driven by there is some pent up demand. Food and beverage, 18%, spurred by the growth in online grocery and health and personal care and beauty products at 16% accelerated by the pandemic. The top three motivators for driving online shopping are Convenience at 63%, seamless shopping at 38%. And to me, all these trends really scream about uh, uh, 
uh, the immersive retailing, creating immersive experiences. All this data, in fact, says that omnichannel is here to stay. Many of the features cited are required also in physical stores, not just online. And really, uh, the retailers that will win are the ones that will bridge seamlessly uh, for those next generation consumers that actually have been impacted, especially the newer generation by COVID-19. And again, LPFC is a good place to experience how to optimize that uh, omni-channel experience inside physical stores for the green shopper and deter the red shoppers. So with that, let me turn it over to Tom. Well, thank you, Tony. Thank you, Reed. And I uh, wanted to just start out with uh, the taping today is during Amazon Prime Day week. And there has been a rash of scams related to Amazon Prime week. And I'm sorry if you received that text message. No, you did not win a $100 gift card for Amazon Prime week. Uh, you're more likely susceptible to a phishing attack. So both in the text message format and the email format, there have been a whole slew of scams related specifically to Amazon Prime Day, whether it be you want a $100 gift card to use it or your very special offer, just click here and log into your Amazon account. Uh, most of the attacks that I have seen have been credential uh, related. So trying to steal your credentials to get into your account. Um, I, I actually got a couple sent to me for samples and they're all pretty much the same. One of the risks here is that uh, on certain devices, just clicking on that link leaves you susceptible to ransomware or other attacks. So general rule of thumb applies here. You know, don't click it if you don't know what it's from. And unfortunately, the likelihood of you actually winning something that you don't know about is you know, pretty much slim to none. So if you get that message, however intriguing it may be, uh, stay away from it. The other, the other piece of phishing emails that have been uh, really predominantly through the weekend and uh, probably will continue this week is the best deals on Amazon Prime. Again, if you don't know the sender of the email, don't click on the email, uh, the link in the email or the text message. The, this is uh, no, new, no new news. This happens all the time. Uh, and you also, what I suspect is throughout the remainder of the week, you'll start to see that your package is you're having problems getting delivery messages coming as well. They go hand in hand. Again, if you're not expecting it, um, uh, that message, stay away from it. And also when you do, and if you do get a, a packaging, like your package is missing or running late, it's best to go back to the original site as opposed to clicking on links in an email. It's just a quick safety tip from that standpoint. Um, we covered a lot of the, the more attacks in the last few weeks and some of the things with cryptocurrency. Over the weekend, the Chinese government uh, ordered a shutdown of crypto um, and Bitcoin mining. Uh, this had a, a pretty significant impact on the market uh, from a, a crypto crash. And all of this kind of relates back to what we keep uh, talking about in ransomware and the unregulated uh, nature of it. It's interesting to see China take this approach. There's a very specific reason uh, because the Chinese government wants to control the digital currency there. And they've even taken it as far as typical kind of Chinese government fashion is they've created a way to report uh, crypto mining uh, and crypto mining for the listeners that aren't aware is the way that cryptocurrency is created. There are computers that actually do some really complex math and that's how um, the cryptocurrency is uh, created, whether it be Bitcoin or others. Uh, one of the things is that they're 
extremely powerful. So it's relatively easy for the Chinese government to identify where it is. And if you didn't see the headlines, you actually, there are quite a few very interesting videos and photos of people in the middle of the night shutting down their mining uh, scenarios. So this will have an impact on um, the actual value of cryptocurrency. And there is kind of a, a theory that it also have an impact on how ransomware works with all of these things that are occurring in the last few weeks, whether it be, um, you know, the meat uh, ransomware or uh, the colonial pipeline ransomware, there is this kind of stigma of ransomware and crypto going together. And with that, I know that we spoke about this, so I won't go into detail. The, the FBI was able to seize Bitcoin from the Colonial Pipeline. There were a lot of questions I got offline of how that happened. And to not to oversimplify it, but the way that really happened is that the hackers stored their Bitcoin in a hot wallet. So they started online with a service. So the way that the FBI really captured that is they went after the service and seized it. So remember the un regulated decentralized currency if you're storing it with somebody as opposed to in a personal wallet with an encrypted key it's susceptible to not only seizure but also loss so there are a lot of uh, horror stories around people losing their cryptocurrency because their credentials were hacked or a company went down um so that's just that is how it occurred um and that's what we're you know we're hearing uh, in the law enforcement space, you know, we, we, we saw over the weekend, Port, the Portland Police Department made a public statement saying that they would no longer be um, enforcing minor traffic infractions. So I don't have a lot more detail than that, but we continue to see, um, you know, what I would say is a lot of changes with uh, the way policing is happening in America. And Portland is clearly a hot spot for protests and civil unrest. It's actually one of the few places that I think there's consistent civil unrest. And when we think about the fusion net and sharing information, that that consistent challenges in that in that market and among a couple other markets. So um, stay tuned to that. I think as we continue to see some of the changes with law enforcement in the United States, um, again, I don't want to draw a conclusion that it, that there will be unrest or lawlessness because of the way the police departments respond, but there's clearly some connection there. And I think uh, as the listeners uh, look at the fusion, that that might be something we want to look at. And it may be something the LPRC will look at eventually is what is the correlation or the tie to some of these markets where we're having these challenges. And then lastly, there, there are a couple new vulnerabilities out there. One is called Alpaca and um, that is the, the name of it. And there is a, a whole bunch of acronyms that have changed and why it's called that. But really, it's, it's a vulnerability related to TLS. And TLS is uh, the standardized encryption method for web traffic. Uh, it also is used for email and a few other things, but it's really designed for web traffic. And, it, and the, this, uh, this vulnerability was announced. And I think if you're following any of the cybersecurity news, you'll see a lot about it. While it is definitely a vulnerability, it's a fairly challenging exploit. So I don't think we'll see a wide adoption or a challenge with it. But one of the, the key factors here is that TLS it was designed for website encryption. And in kind of in order to make it easy, a lot of uh, companies applied the same methodology to not only web traffic, but mail and some other things. And the general rule of thumb is 
if you have a security protocol that's designed for web traffic, you want to keep it to web traffic. And to make it this a very simple analogy, today, if you're using web traffic with TLS, what happens is there's a, a, a bit of a, a virtual handshake where the web browser and the information knows, okay, this is web traffic in a web browser, so I can do X, Y, and Z to protect it. When you use TLS outside of the, the web for email or for other things, you lose that kind of authentication and that's where the breakdown can occur. Um, reason I'm talking about it today is because I think there's going to be a lot more news about it and I'm not sure that the general population has to have as big as concern with that. The, the rule of thumb is, you know, if you're a, a personal user to update your, your, your phones and your laptops and patch your computers and pay attention to things. And if you're a business, work with your IT department. And I think for the listing base, it's really just kind of a reminder that all of the news of vulnerabilities and things out there don't necessarily lead to actual vulnerabilities for the common population. So We'll keep an eye on it for you. You don't need to. And if anything comes up, uh, we'll absolutely uh, push it out there. And then lastly is, is the air travel piece. I know um, that Reed talked about, you know, recent air travel with with uh, masks. You know, I did, I did some travel the last uh, few weeks and we, um, we saw that there was obviously masks on planes and in airports. But one of the things that I continue to see, and I know that the LPRC is working on it, is the confusion around mask wearing. So I happened to be in the California market the day that masks um, were lifted. And uh, literally every single store, right down to the Starbucks I went to, there was a level of confusion of when, when to wear a mask and when not to. And I actually was at two major retailers. and. Um, happened to just talk to the folks at the front um, who were AP folks, I did not know them. And they said, you know, we're, we're taking the stance of, um, you know, following the, the state, the, what the state's guidelines. And in one particular retailer, they said that their, their corporate was sending messages out that day um, to update folks, but there was general confusion around that. So it is a, an interesting time as we open back up. And um, I know for me being in California and listening to the news, it was, I, I was putting a mask on, taking a mask off, putting a mask on, taking a mask off um, because, uh, you know, I, I'm one of the folks that wants to follow the rules. I am fully vaccinated, but also wanted to figure out what the right way to go. So we'll continue to see that as a challenge and uh, confusion. I know planes and airports were masks, completely masks on. I, I watched several people get onto the plane and be instructed that that was the wrong type of mask or they were wearing it wrong. Um, so I think there's definitely some mask fatigue and I know Reed will talk about it, uh, in the future episodes, but with that, Reed, I'll turn it over to you. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Tom and Tony, um, for a quick look and, you know, it, we see it's just 24, seven, 365, the theft, fraud and violence that, uh, that all of us are trained and working on trained for and working on. And, um, and we hear here with Amazon prime. Um, and I understand, too, a lot of other retailers have learned to sort of take advantage also of the opportunity around Amazon Prime where people might be saving up or ready or looking to buy. Um, but they, too, might. Uh, I'm looking at listening to Tom and looked up uh, some of the scams he's talking about, people taking advantage of Amazon Prime, sending you uh, what look to be coupons and other things, a delivery 
uh, messages that are not accurate. And in fact, fishing tr or spear fishing trips. But we're seeing that with some of the other retailers that where they are also hijacked their good intentions as well. So stay alert out there. Um, but again, we encourage everybody, uh, send us your comments, you know, your questions, your suggestions to us at operations at lpresearch.org. Um, if you've got a good story, a tip, a lead, somebody that you think would be particularly sharp to be on the podcast, we'd like to encourage that as well. And again, look to come in here to Gainesville. We'd love to start to host uh, visitors again. We've, we have had a handful, including two VPs of asset protection for two major chains in here. So we're starting to see that kind of activity. Uh, more and more technologies going into the LPRC engagement lab. I think we're over 130 technologies in there. It's just an unprecedented place in the entire world um, to look at so many theft, fraud, and violence um, solutions and solution sets that are fused together in one place. Um, but all five labs offer a lot. Um, and for LPRC members, again, uh, the LPRC labs are a place you can come in and host a meeting, a place to get away, get neutral, um, and to be inspired, if you will, uh, and to have something really neat and interesting. And we just encourage everybody in asset protection, loss prevention, law enforcement, um, the LPRC and the UF Safer Places Lab. We want you to feel like this is your home field. You know, this is your home team. We're here for you. We support you. Um, and we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, but everybody stay safe. And uh, thanks for tuning in to Crime Science. Thanks for listening to the Crime Science Podcast presented by the Loss Prevention Research Council and sponsored by Bosch Security. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can find more crime science episodes and valuable information at lpresearch.org. The content provided in the Crime Science Podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for legal, financial, or other advice. Views expressed by guests of the Crime Science Podcast are those of the authors and do not reflect the opinions or positions of the Loss Prevention Research Council.